I love words. I'm passionate about reading words and writing words. I'm fascinated by the origin of words. As a young child, I often read through the dictionary to find the most exquisite words for the sole purpose of adding new words to my arsenal of favorite words. I have lots of words. But as many of you already know, your greatest strength often also is your greatest weakness. Words are mine. Proverbs confirm that when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. Controlling my words is my intention, but still I often stumble in this area. The book of James, especially chapter three, continues to convict me. I'm not alone, for James tells us that no one can tame the tongue. When God chose to reveal his nature and his character to us, he chose to use words. Jesus is the word made flesh, so we should not be surprised that God is in the business of caring about words. For those of us who are followers of the word made flesh, words matter. I have many books available for you to read, which will deepen your understanding of the power of the tongue, what to say, how to say it, and when to say nothing at all, what to do when you're hung by your tongue, and how to tame a lying tongue, or a boasting tongue, or a gossiping tongue, or a complaining tongue. One of my favorites is 30 days to taming your tongue, but I promise you, for most of us, it will take far more than 30 days to tame your tongue. If you stumble with a critical tongue or a judgmental tongue, let me assure you, the problem doesn't originate with your tongue, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What your lips are spewing, your heart has been chewing. When your mouth is misbehaving, don't try to fix your mouth, but get before the Lord and do the hard work of changing your heart. Are you a mouth mess up like me? Try to think before you speak, talk less, memorize scripture and fill your heart with God's words. Then ask him to help you. Words matter to him and he'll help you with yours. Well, it's nice to see all of you this morning. Um, two weeks ago, I was preaching in Bedford. Sean, I think was preaching up here. Um, break uh, last Sunday. It's just good to be with you uh, this morning. We are in the third chapter of James. If you want to turn there and put your finger there or find it on your phone or on your tablet, whatever you're, you're using uh, this morning. Before we get to that, let me just say a word about our, our young people. I think we have absolutely incredible young people in this congregation and the senior class that uh, you saw up here are part of the senior class that you saw up here this morning are just absolutely outstanding. I have been... Um, encouraged, delighted, inspired uh, by their actions, by their words, uh, their ability to articulate, their strong faith walk, the relationships that they have built, what they've done to help this congregation, not only here, but around the world, is just something to be admired. So when you see our teens, uh, especially our graduates, give them a pat on the back, give them a hug, give them a fist bump, whatever it is, but tell them how much you appreciate who they are and what they've done. They are terrific young people. And I know that the church is in great hands for generations to come with young people like that at the lead. So parents, good job. Thank you for what you've done. What do these three things have in common? A balloon that gets loose before it's tied off, a chicken without a head, and government spending. They are all examples of things out of control. 
Every day we encounter things, and especially people, out of control. An angry driver who lays on the horn and uses rude hand gestures. An outraged father being verbally abusive with his family. A teenager glued to pornographic images on the computer screen. A senior drowning in debt because she can't stop spending money for what is surely the next winning lotto ticket. A businessman far from home walking up the steps of a brothel to lose what he can never regain. These are all examples of people out of control. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, everyone sooner or later sits down to a banquet of consequences. Out of control lives have consequences. And James reminds us that the biggest culprit in an out-of-control life comes from one of the smallest members of the body, the tongue. In James 3, verse 2, this is what we read. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. In other words, if you can learn how to control what you say, if you can control this tongue, then you can control any other aspect of your lives. Now, folks, that's a hefty goal, one that I have never mastered, by the way. And I suspect you haven't mastered it either since James notes that we all, we all stumble in this way. Now, you may be thinking, what's the big deal? Words are just words. It's not that big uh, and important. I mean, can words really matter that much? You bet. You bet. James chapter 3, verse 1. This is how he opens the chapter. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I am not overly fond of that passage of Scripture this morning. As a matter of fact, it frightens me. After all these years, I still get nervous when I preach, and that anxiety grows out of this verse. There is enough in my life that will come under God's judgment. I don't like adding additional charges to my spiritual rap sheet by opening up my mouth and saying things that I shouldn't. So when I stand before you in this capacity, I feel a weight on my shoulders to make sure that what I present, that my words fairly and accurately represent God's word and God's will for our lives. Words matter. They matter to God and they should matter to us. This is not a time for thoughtless chatter. A sermon should be spiritually beneficial. Read about a preacher who went on too long and got nothing but glares as people walked out of the service until one guy came up, shook his hand, smiling and said, preacher, thank you for that refreshing sermon. Why, when I woke up, I felt like a new person. (laughs) A sermon is to be spiritually beneficial, not physically beneficial, because words matter. Or maybe I should say this, the right words matter. Thomas Jefferson labored over the words of the Declaration of Independence for 17 days, almost locked himself away in a room with hardly any other communication for 17 days to print or to write a document that ends up being about 1,300 words. Now, to give you some perspective, my sermon will be about 3,000 words. 
1,300 words, 17 days. Then it went to the Committee of Five. Then it went to the Second Continental Congress. Here are some of Jefferson's most famous words written during that 17 days. We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable, that all men are created equal and independent, that from that equal creation they derive rights inherent and inalienable, among which are the preservation of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Sound familiar? Sort of. You see, after the Committee of Five and then the Second Continental Congress amended those words, this is what we have. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Some of the best words in the Declaration of Independence. Powerful words. Now, why spend nearly three weeks on a 1,300-word document? Because that congressional body staked the future of our country on those words. The right words matter. It's not the parchment that they were written on. It wasn't the way that that was conveyed to England. It was the words on that page that set the course for this nation. So what does James have to say in this passage this morning about the right words? Well, here's a few things to remember. Words can control. In verse 3 it says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships for an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. We tend to be dismissive of little things in our culture and being impressed with big things. When I stand at the base of snow-capped mountain peaks, I'm in awe of their majesty. They, they point me to God. But in reality, mountains, a mountain can't hurt me. But a microscopic virus that I can't even see with my eyes can render me powerless or even lifeless in a short matter of time. Just because the tongue is small doesn't mean it isn't powerful. After all, a tiny bit controls a horse's direction, a small rudder steers the ship, and a minute spark changes the destiny of a forest. And my tongue can take me down in a few words. It controls. Ted Berkman wrote, he said, words are as beautiful as wild horses and sometimes as difficult to corral. And as with the bit, the rudder, and the spark, the tongue also determines, controls our direction. Many of the most egregious dictators of history gained control through the power of words and changed the course and the direction of a nation. By the same token, the power of encouraging, inspiring words have also changed the course and the direction of nations. This summer marks the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 and Neil Armstrong's first human footprints on the lunar surface that took place in 1969. 
President John Kennedy did not live to see that moment in time. But in his speech in 1962, he set the challenge with words of inspiration that we put a man on the moon by 1969. And by July of 1969, it had become a reality. Words control or set the pattern for the future of our lives, the direction of our lives. So let me ask you a question. If I only knew you by your words, what would I conclude about your direction in life? If you only knew me by my words, what would you conclude about my direction in life? Remember this. Positive words lead in a different direction than negative words. Which direction are your words taking you? What will be your influence? Here's something else. Words can destroy. They can control, but they can destroy. In verse 6, it says, The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, those are strong words. Someone needs to be able to extinguish the fire of the tongue. In 1734, a German doctor put saline solution into ball-shaped glass containers as a means of controlling house fires. It was the first attempt at, at a um, fire extinguisher. And if a fire broke out in your home, you were to throw these glass orbs into the fire, and the saline solution supposedly would put the fire out. 82 years later, a Scottish inventor offered the world a copper canister filled with water and potassium carbonate, the first fire extinguisher as we know it. That would have been in the 1800s. A lot of time has passed since that first fire extinguisher. And yet in the intervening years, nobody has been able to invent a fire extinguisher for the tongue. It's kind of a shame, isn't it? In this single verse, James powerfully describes the hideous nature of the tongue in four phrases that reflect a different facet of the tongue's potential devastation. He says it's a world of evil. In other words, it stands in contrast to everything that is good and right. It corrupts the whole person. In other words, what flows from the tongue permeates the mind, the heart, the soul, and the will so that a person's character can be stained by the tongue's poison. He says it sets the whole course of life on fire. Our entire social, social dynamic is controlled and often corrupted by what we say. And he says it is set on fire by hell itself. The word here used to, to translate Hell is the same word that Jesus used in the Gospels to describe hell. It is the word Gehenna. It described the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where the fires burned continually, which in that valley at one time prior to that had been a valley of human sacrifice. The destruction and devastation you can see is fitting of a tongue that is out of control. So be, be on your guard. Words can destroy. And if the tongue is a fire... Um, it, it, it's, it's a constant danger. Now, a fire under control is a good thing. I mean, what could be cozier than a fireplace on a winter's night? But out of control, it, it can destroy a forest that has taken generations and lifetimes to grow, and it can be gone in a matter of moments. The comparisons are multiple with the tongue. I mean, have you ever thought about our, even our English language? The words that we use, the adjectives that, that we use to describe, well, when words uh, are, are uncomfortable. 
uh, we, we talk about blistering words that lead to hot tempers. And hot tempers lead to heated arguments that are full of fiery language. Isn't it interesting the words that we choose to describe uh, our conversations? Feelings are scorched and relationships are left smoldering in the wake of our uncontrolled tongues. When somebody is exploding verbally, we say that he's what? Hot under the collar. When insulted, we respond, boy, what she said really burns me. James' analogy is fitting. Uh, as fire destroys property, so the tongue will destroy spiritual property. Uh, the sights, sounds, and even the smells of the church fire, uh, church building fire back in 1991 still are indelibly impressed on my memory. I'll, I'll just never forget that, that moment, uh, the flames shooting up out of the, of the church building ceiling, uh, the classrooms, the worship center, the offices, all of which were destroyed. When the fire was finally extinguished, uh, what, what the building looked like was the pictures that you see of aerial bombings during wartime. Uh, to, to this day, um, when I pick up some of my books in my office that, that go back to what I had back then, they're crinkled with, with the water, and when I open them, I can still smell the smoke. All these years later, uh, it, is a, it is a graphic reminder to me of the destructive nature of fire. In a similar fashion, I have seen fiery words destroy careers, marriages, parent-child relationships, friendships, self-esteem, confidence, hope, and the desire to even keep on living. And that's just the short list, folks. And you've heard it before. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't know who wrote that, but he must have lived on a deserted island with nobody else around. That's some of the best fiction writing I have ever read in my life. You can cut me with a knife and, and I'll heal up in a, in a matter of days or a couple weeks. But sometimes the words that, that pierce the heart don't heal for years if they ever heal. Words hurt. Who, who did you hurt this week with fiery words? And fires leave scars. Uh, a few years ago in the summer, we took a vacation to um, Yellowstone. And, um, oh, I don't know, probably three or four years before that, they'd had a massive fire, uh, forest fire that had gone through. And when we drove into Yellowstone, there were these gray tree trunks that were, rose pretty high in the air, but they, but they came to point. They looked like giant toothpicks stuck into the hillsides of Yellowstone. They were the scars left of that forest fire. Now, there was new growth coming up. Uh, three and four feet high were some of the new pines and the trees that were going to replace those. But those scars will be there for years to come. Sometimes what we say leaves scars that are there for years to, to come. Keep your tongue under control and it will bring joy to your life and to your relationships like a cozy fireplace on a winter's night. But you let it loose and it will become a raging inferno consuming you and all that you care for. You know, television companies have a brief delay to catch inappropriate words that are, that are used in an interview, and so they get bleeped out so the audience doesn't hear it. Oh, how I wish there was a way to catch the words coming out of my mouth before they reached the ears of those in the conversation. Unfortunately, words spoken are simply irretrievable. 
Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 10:12, words from a wise man's mouth are gracious, but a fool is consumed by his own lips. How often have we played the fool and been consumed by what we've said? And, and let me add another thought here real quick. Today, I think lips in this passage includes our fingers on a keyboard, phone, or tablet screen. I'm convinced that if James were writing to the church today, he would most certainly include social media, which has become a way of speaking without restraint. I never cease to be amazed at what people will say with their fingers. Behind a screen, we tend to unload on people in ways that we would never unload in a face-to-face conversation. And that aspect of social media is ruining our society and our ability to carry on intelligent conversations. Be careful. Be ever so careful what you say. Be even more careful what you say with your fingers. Because what you type can be photoed, printed, copied, forwarded, those words will never go away. Think before you speak verbally. Think before you speak electronically. Your words might just consume you like a fire. And words can surprise. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I enjoy tame animal acts. I I think they're fun to watch, but every so often you'll read where a wild animal that had been tamed for a long time turns on its master and very nearly destroys that person. Sometimes does. You see, there's, there's a truth here. Wild animals cannot be tamed only to a certain degree. You can't make pets out of that which is not pet like. Worse yet, the tongue is not tameable at all. I know Janet spoke in, in her thoughts uh, before the, uh, the, the sermon in, in that bumper that in the bookstore, she has several books for sale that, that you can buy, all of which would be really good, and I would encourage you to do so. But there's one that's 30 Days to Taming the Tongue. I'm sure it's a good book, but she's right. It'll take a lot more than 30 days, and I'm going to suggest it's not really tameable completely because what's behind your teeth is not a pet. It's a wild animal. Okay. Sometimes you think, I've got this, I've got it, I'm older, I'm mature, and then all of a sudden, out of your mouth comes these surprising words, and you think, where in the world did that come from? Well, harsh words can be triggered by a painful memory, a practical joke, an assumed insult, a bully's taunt, a lover's quarrel. The list is endless. You'll be surprised sometimes what, you'll, what will come out of your mouth. It's a beast. Last thing, words can undermine. Verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No, brothers. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Choose your words carefully, James is saying. They may undermine your integrity. You may appear as one thing, but you open up your mouth, you remove all doubt as to what you really are. Now, I'm going to tell you something this morning. Our water fountains in this building always give you fresh water. You will never walk up to one of our water fountains and get a mouthful of salt water. They're consistent. 
you'll get cool, fresh water every time. When your words are sweet here, but salty at home, you have a character issue. Our words should be true and consistent, fresh and encouraging all the time. Proverbs 12, 19 and 22 say this, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. You see, the truth has a way of being fresh and, and refreshing at all times. Choose your words carefully. They may undermine your reputation. Regarding the question of profanity in an Ask Maryland column, Marilyn said, I've never found an interesting person with a foul mouth. I think she's on to something there. The only byproduct of crude speech is a lowered self-esteem in your mind and a lowered esteem in the minds of those who are forced to listen to you. <laughs> Will Rogers said, live so that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. That sums it up pretty good, doesn't it? Choose your words carefully. They may also undermine somebody else's reputation. It has been said the tongue is the only instrument that grows sharper with use. And nowhere is that more apparent than, than gossip, which is the Christian's acceptable sin, right? And have you ever noticed that gossip seems to travel faster over grapevines that are slightly sour? Proverbs 12, 18 says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. During World War II, there was an expression, loose lips sink ships. It was an idea of saying, don't let any of the secrets of what's being built here or created here out because it might endanger the lives of soldiers and sailors. Well, I want you to know that loose lips don't just sink ships. They sink marriages. They sink relationships. They sink friendships. They sink careers. They sink reputations. And you and I have a moral and spiritual obligation to stop gossiping. Remember this Spanish proverb. Whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. And you say, well, why do, why do we have all this problem with this thing? I thought I had better control over my life. And then today, it, I just lost it. Why? Well, I think there's a lot of factors. First of all, we're imperfect people, you know. And temptation, Satan is always tempting us in, in various ways. And, and sometimes we just yield to temptation. But I think there's some other factors too. I, I've noticed this, that when I'm really stressed, I'm less likely to be careful with my words. When you're stressed to the max, it is harder to control your, your tongue and your speech. I've noticed this too. I, uh, important conversations ought not to happen when you're really tired. I don't do a good job with guarding my tongue if I'm really tired and trying to have an important conversation or maybe a confrontational conversation. So get some rest. I've noticed this too, that if your diet is off, if, if, if you're hungry, if you haven't eaten right, or if you haven't eaten for a while, we get a little bit anxious, tense, angry, and the words reflect all that. So try to limit your stress. Try to rest well. Try to eat well. Avoid the tempter at all possibilities. You'll need all of that to help you to control the tongue. But on the other hand, this marvelous thing that James talks about its danger is also one of those positive parts, can be, of our lives. Use your words to build up, 
and it will make a difference, not tear down. Mother Teresa stated, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are endless. So open your eyes and your ears before you open your mouth. Watch and listen for the signs of discouragement. Speak encouraging words into the lives of people that will echo for days and weeks and years to come. So many people in our culture are living life on empty. They've lost the ability to look at life and see the joy or to find the positive. That They can't laugh anymore. They don't see anything funny. Aren't you glad God gave us the gift of laughter? The Bible says that a cheerful heart, a laughing heart is good medicine. So the tongue can be used to bring laughter and joy and refreshment. And, and, and just this, our God is so good in the way he created us. When, when people forget to be able to laugh and to smile, you need to remind them how important it is. Laughter is physically beneficial. We stretch muscles throughout our face and body. Our pulse and blood pressure momentarily increases. We breathe faster, sending more oxygen into our tissues. When we laugh, it can be as beneficial as a mild workout. A good belly laugh exercises the diaphragm, contracts the abs, and even works out the shoulders, leaving the muscles more relaxed afterwards. It provides a good workout for the heart. Long term, it helps to reduce and lower blood pressure. Laughter may increase blood flow, enhance the immune system by raising the level of infection-fighting antibodies, and it helps to control our blood sugar levels. And laughter, they're discovering, appears to burn calories. 10 to 15 minutes of laughter can burn 50 calories. Hot dog, bring on the pie and laugh all you want. Do you understand my point? that you can spend your time using your tongue to destroy. It's a fire. Or you can use your tongue to lift up, build up, encourage, and change people's lives. With fun, refreshing words and laughter, you can help fill the emptiness and the loneliness around you with the joy that is inherent in Christ Jesus. Your, your choice, your choice, how you use your tongue. Be on guard. Don't play with fire. Watch your tongue. Use your words to bless, strengthen, and encourage. Most of all, use your words to glorify God. Do you know your, your Savior this morning as, as the Lord of your life? Do, do you know Jesus as the, the King of Kings? Because I'm convinced the only way you're ever going to get any control on your tongue is if he is in your heart and life helping you. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.